way back to be with our transformation station workers this morning. And the rest of us will jump into the second uh, sermon in our Work Reimagined series. Uh, let's pray again before we jump into God's Word. Father, we pray that this love, which we just sang about, would be very tangible and real to us in these moments. God, we know that your spirit works with your word to distribute your love to us, to show us your great love, and your love covers over every detail of our lives, including this morning. And so, Lord, I pray that you would make us uh, acutely aware of your love, your plans and purposes for us. And God, that you would enlighten our eyes to see all of this, to see all that is ours in you, all that is ours in Christ, in the gospel. So, Father, we pray that in these moments, as you work, that we would also work, take responsibility to hear with humility and to consider how that we can take these truths and to apply them to our lives as you give us strength and grace, as your spirit works in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, two weeks ago, we started our Work Reimagined series, and we looked at the first three chapters of the Bible and saw how that God is a God, first and foremost, who works. And as those made in his image, as those who reflect who he is and how great he is, that we were consequently made to work. And we see this play out in the first few chapters of the Bible. So, so any understanding of our work needs to take its cues and have that foundation of what God has done early in the Bible to show us that our work matters to God immensely and that work is an opportunity to worship him. Okay, that's where we were two weeks ago. So, so that's another way of saying, okay, and to put this kind of framework on it, our work is an opportunity for us to fulfill the first and greatest commandment, which is what? To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, today, what we're going to do, and I love this framework that, that we can place on our work. God not only created us to glorify him in all things, including our work, but our work actually provides opportunity for us then to fulfill the second greatest commandment, which is what? To love your neighbor as yourself. And so what we're going to do is we're going to deviate from our kind of typical approach of taking one primary passage and kind of working systematically through that. We're actually going to take a few different passages and look at uh, what the Bible says about what we could call the doctrine of vocation, okay? The doctrine of vocation, how we, we work and in our work, we not only seek to glorify God, but we seek to love and serve our neighbor, Okay, so that's where we're going today. And as, as we reflect on these three different but related texts, what we're going to see is that work gives us a God-given opportunity to love and serve others. Okay? We can use our work as a God-given opportunity to serve and love others. Now, the question is, well, how do we go about that? 
And the first way that we can go about that is this. Engage in work as an assignment given by God. Engage in work as an assignment given by God. Have you considered that God is over every detail of your life? This is, this is clear throughout the Bible from beginning to end, and it, and it speaks in a very detailed way. Acts 17 says that God is, is over the details of where we live, the times and spaces, the boundaries of our dwellings. God is sovereign over the length of our days. We're about to see that when we get back into Luke chapter 12. God is clearly sovereign over the very number of our days. So we shouldn't be surprised then that God is also over the details of our work. We, we call this all the, the understanding of God's providence, how he is orchestrating all things, and he is sovereign, he is ruler, governor over all things, working all things together for his purposes and, and his will. Now, God being over the, the, the sphere of our work is, again, what we are going to refer to as the doctrine of vocation. And the word vocation comes from a Latin word from which we get our word calling. And the Bible uses the word calling in, in different ways. Primarily when you see the word calling, it's talking about God's call to us to bring us to himself. Okay, so we have been called into a relationship with God. We have been called into salvation in Christ if we have received that gift of salvation. So God calls us as the word goes forth and as his spirit convinces us that the word is true, he calls us and brings us into this new life in Christ. That's the primary way that God uses the word calling in the Bible. But then in a secondary sense, it also refers to God's particular assignment or purpose or call for our lives in the different spheres in which we operate. And that is what the doctrine of vocation that we're talking about today is. We see this idea most clearly in 1 Corinthians 7. Look at this on the screen with me. 1 Corinthians 7, 17 says this. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Okay, so we don't have time to read the entire chapter, but if we read the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 7, what we would find out is that God is, is speaking of different callings and assignments in life, primarily the, the uh, calling of, of marriage or singleness, okay? But he also throws the, the, the responsibility of work into that, and he shows us how that sometimes our vocation and assignments and calling can change. Sometimes we move from being single to being married, Sometimes we move from being married back to singleness. Sometimes we move from one sphere of work to another assignment in our work. Gene Veith provides a great definition of, of vocation for us, and we're going to refer to it several times here this morning. He says this, God has chosen to work through human beings who in their different capacities and according to their different talents serve each other. This is the doctrine of vocation, okay? So, so God gives us different talents, different capacities, different abilities, different skills, different gifts, different desires to fulfill particular assignments that he hands down to us. Now consider this, 
we all of us, okay, kind of in God's university, if you will, we all take multiple classes and take them simultaneously, Okay? Another metaphor we could put on and say we, we all have different vocational hats. All right? Just take our wonderful worship leader, Micah Lee. All right? Micah is a computer software programmer, engineer. Okay? He works at Lincoln Labs, MIT, so he's, he's, he's pretty gifted in that area. I cannot begin to do the work that he does, but that's, that's one of his vocations. Uh, another vocation that he has, that I guess is an A vocation he can get paid for, is, is to serve as, as a minister in our church and to lead worship. But those aren't the only two things that Micah does. Okay, Micah also happens, happens to be a husband to Carrie. He also happens to be, first and foremost, as we just talked about, a Christian, someone that has been called by God to, to fulfill responsibilities and privileges of walking with God. Micah also happens to be a citizen of the United States, a resident of Medford, and with that come certain privileges and responsibilities. Micah is a member of this church, another vocational calling that he has. I mean, Micah has a lot going on. He's wearing a lot of different vocational hats. Maybe, maybe we should all pray for Micah, you know what I'm saying? And, and we, we, we all wear different vocational hats, right? We all have different responsibilities, different assignments given to us by God that carry certain privileges and responsibilities. Just think, take the example of citizenship, okay? Now, as we are kind of roaming the city, driving around, okay, you know, we, we carry certain privileges and responsibilities, but... We don't carry the same responsibilities that the Medford Police Department carries, right? Okay, so even when you know you're, you're upset, people are driving too fast, plowing through the rotaries, you can't like pull them over in your car and write them a ticket. You can't do that, right? I mean, if you want to kind of go Barney Five for Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes or, or, you know, Paul Blart Mall Cop, is that it? You know, if you want to kind of lay down the law on people, you just can't, can't do that. Why? Because you don't have the authority. It's not your vocation. But with each vocation, we do have particular responsibilities, assignments. And this understanding that God gives us specific assignment should fill us, really. I mean, we could like stop this room right here. We should have all the motivation we need for our work if God is handing down, calling us out, giving us particular assignments for our work. Not only that, this understanding of vocation helps us understand that all of our work matters to God. All of our work. All of our work has dignity in the sight of God. And this understanding will save us and keep us back from two major errors in our lives. Error number one, we have a tendency to demean certain vocations because of the character of their work. So we have a, a tendency, whether we state it or not, to kind of separate work into different classes, okay? If it's a prominent position, usually kind of more intellectual in nature, then we say, oh, that's, that's work that really we should all esteem. It has great dignity. But for other jobs that may, we may kind of deem less prominent or privileged, may kind of be more in manual service labor, then those are works that are not as dignified. We kind of tend to demean those work responsibilities. But what if God sees the work of a doctor and the work of an orderly as no less dignified? 
What if, even though a manager may have the greater responsibility in the workplace, the work environment, that he is no more impressed with the work of a manager and the work of the waitress who is pushing two jobs to make ends meet? See, all of our work has dignity before God. No matter what the nature of the work is, God's gifted us in different ways. He's given us different capacities, different talents to fulfill the work that he has for us. This is so crucial in understanding what sometimes we tend to separate as sacred and secular spheres. Okay, Martin Luther really taught us this in the Reformation, that, that all work, because it's all given by God, every legitimate vocation should not be considered as, you know, like pastors and missionaries and ministers. They, they do the work of God, right? But, but everyone over here, else over here, you know, teachers and engineers and pro, like they're doing the work of man, right? I mean, we can't read Genesis 1 like we did two weeks ago and come to that conclusion. Why? Because God has given us dominion over all things. He's legitimized all of our work in his sight as dignified and worthy to be performed. I love the example from church history, Brother Lawrence. He was a, a 17th century um, worker in a, in a monastery in, in Paris. And Brother Lawrence was actually not a monk. He didn't head up the monastery and kind of call the shots and run the show. You know what, you know what Brother Lawrence did? He did what I don't sometimes like to do. He washed dishes all day long in the kitchen of the monastery. He did it over and over and over again. And the one person from that monastery that church history speaks of more than any other is Brother Lawrence. Why? Because he loved his work. He enjoyed his work. He wrote this, uh, his works were uh, collected in this book called Practicing the Presence of God. And so perhaps... We can't say it conclusively, but perhaps the most mature and spiritual dude in the monastery was not the monks who had all of the glamour and notoriety, but it was the guy in the kitchen just washing the dishes. It's pretty amazing. So understanding all of our work matters to God keeps us back from demeaning certain vocations over another. And then error number two, it helps us uh, not pursue work primarily for status or for salary. So, so let's just be honest here, right? Sometimes we view a lower-paying job as an assault on our dignity, right? If it doesn't pay this figure, then I'm not going to pursue that kind of work. And this is ingrained into us early, right? As early as middle school, if not middle school, high school, at least we get these kind of, you know, um, you know, worksheets with, with all of the different projected salaries for different fields. And so, so whether, you know, whether or not you have a real interest or gifting in a particular field, you say, man, that pays, you know, closer to six figures than, you know, two, four figures, five figures. And so, you know, we're going to go after that job. But what if we're not necessarily gifted and wired for, for those occupations or professions? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, salary is unimportant. Okay, we all have to get paid. I understand that. Jesus says the labor is worthy of his wages. Okay, so salary is not unimportant. But what I'm suggesting is we should not pursue a job primarily as the driving force being the salary that it pays. Similarly, when it comes to status, sometimes we would rather actually not even work than to take a job that we feel is beneath us. 
So Paul understood this, and he addressed this in 2 Corinthians 3. Listen to this. He says in 2 Thessalonians sorry, uh, 3, verses 10 through 12, he says, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Now, listen, I I realize we have some that are connected to Redemption Hill. We all have friends, family that at various points and stages in their lives are probably unemployed, right? We've all been unemployed before at one season or another. And so if that's you and you are diligently pursuing work, that's, that's your vocation. That's what you're about right now. And you are to be commended for that. At the same time, there needs to be a warning against saying, you know what, I would rather draw unemployment and not work because that job that I really could get and go after is beneath me. Right? So there is a temptation to receive a handout versus working hard even if that job is not our dream job, right? We, we all understand that. So, in Christ, let's ask this question. In Christ, in light of his humility, what job could we say is beneath us? The Son of God, the eternal Son of God, leaves heaven, comes to earth. That's infinite humility. Humility we can't even understand, and we won't do a certain kind of job. I can tell you this, some of the the people that I respected the most growing up from my childhood, their names were Gary, Tony, and Reba. All right, don't play, her name was Reba, it was a cool name. Um, so, so, So Mr. Gary and Tony were custodians, one in my elementary school and one in my high school, and Reba was my bus driver in elementary school. And I can tell you, those three people I respected as much as any teacher, principal, coach, leader in my life. Why? Because they took a real interest in my life, And as best as I could tell, they were seeking to do their work, perform their work with excellence. So so influence doesn't always come from a position. It comes from character, right? Coupled with that influence that God gives in our lives. Now, before we move on, let's be clear that we're talking about legitimate vocations as dignified work here, all right? So, so this understanding that the Bible puts forth does not leave room for, you know, drug dealers, human traffickers, the Hugh Hefners, the Whitey Bulgers, the Bernie Madoffs of the world, okay? Why? So some of you are maybe dreaming of going into those lucrative vocations. That's a bad move, okay? And God's like, why? Because they don't square with God's intention and purpose for our work, namely to glorify Him and to serve others through our work. So, number one, engage in work as an assignment given by God. Number two, understand that God works through your work to accomplish his purposes. So again, last week we learned that God is a God who works. It's, it's, it's cool. We can take heart in the fact that every time we go to work and we clock into work, that God already beat us to work, okay? So God is a God who works, he beats us to work, and not only is he a God who works, but he is a God who works through our work. And we see this in Psalm 147. If you have your Bible, you can pick one up. Uh, Open to the middle of the Bible, you'll probably hit the book of Psalms, and we're going to be in Psalm 147. 
What I want to do here is pick up in verse 7 and read through the end of the chapter. And I want you to pay particular attention when we get to verse 12, okay? So Psalm 147, starting in verse 7, it says this. This is a psalm of praise, psalm of adoration to God. It says, sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Now verse 12. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. Why? For he, he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives, we can identify with this this morning, he gives snow like wool. He scatters hoarfrost like ashes. He hurls down crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. And so in Psalm 147, we have highlighted what Veith says about the doctrine of vocation again. Look at what is highlighted and emphasized here. What, is it, what does he say in his, in his definition of vocation? He says, if we can get that back up on the screen, there we go. God has chosen to work through human beings, okay? Who in their different capacities and according to their different talents serve each other. This is the doctrine of vocation. God has chosen to work through human beings. Now, where do we see this in Psalm 147? If you're reading this psalm, you probably missed it. I've probably read this psalm a a, a lot, many, many times, and I've I've never necessarily seen this. But again, Luther helps us in his exposition of Psalm 147. He says this about verse 13, where it says, He strengthens the bars of your gates. Who is the he? The he is God. God strengthens the bars of your gates. This is what Luther says. By the word bars, we must not understand only the iron bar that a smith can make, But everything that helps to protect us, such as good government, good city ordinances, good order, and wise rulers, this is a gift of God. So Luther says, lawmakers, government leaders, civil authorities, these people, God works through them to protect us and strengthen the bars of our cities. He he goes in in verse 14, he says, he fills you with the finest of wheat. So through the farmer and through the truck driver and through the grocery store, God takes care of us and he feeds us and meets our needs. He works through people. Have you thought about this? God works through ordinary people just like us to accomplish his purposes and to care for people wherever they may be found. In one of his most quoted sections, this is so good, he says this, Luther says, what else is all our work to God? Picture this, the the vast kind of difference between God's work and our work. He says, 
What else is all our work to God, whether in the fields, in the garden, in the city, in house, in war, or in government, but the work of children, by which he grants, he wants to give his gifts in the fields, at home, and everywhere else. These are the masks of God, behind which he wants to remain concealed and do all things. So God hides himself in the workplace, in the family, in the church, in society to accomplish his purposes through us. So if you're a teacher or an engineer or in some kind of service sector or a banker or an investor or a mother or a father, God is working through you. He is hiding himself in your work to accomplish his good purposes. It's pretty amazing, right? Puts a new definition on our work. It changes the way that we look at all the details of our, of our lives every single day, right? God is working through us to accomplish his purposes. And at the same time, that does not negate our responsibility to engage in good work. So Luther goes on to say, God is the giver of all good gifts, but you must fall to and take the bull by the horns, which means you must work to give God an occasion and a mask. So every time you work, every time you exercise a responsibility in your particular vocation, you are giving God an opportunity to work through you to bless people. Pretty amazing. Number three, learn to love and serve others intentionally through your work. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. If you're using one of the Bibles we provided for you, it's on page 1016. And what I want to do is read verses 7 through 11 of 1 Peter 4, and I want to explain why we're uh, looking at these verses after I read them. Peter says this, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep on loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, let me explain what's going on here and why we're looking at these particular verses. I am not suggesting, okay, Peter did not write these verses here to give us a prescription for what our work life should look like, all right? I believe what they do, though, is give us a picture of what our work lives could and should look like because Peter is actually not giving us a a picture of of work out in the world, but he is giving us a picture of what life should function like in the church, okay? So Peter is writing to believers. He is addressing believers here, and he is saying that in your relationships with one another, you should love and serve one another, and you do this because God has given you by special, specific, spirit-given grace different gifts to serve one another and build one another up. All right, that's a picture of the church. What should be happening? It's a a beautiful picture of what actually is happening in this church. God's gifted us in different ways to serve one another and love one another. Now, 
kind of working backwards from this picture of the church, we can say that this is what should be happening in the world as those who we all are made in God's image, right? With relational, rational, creative capacities and as those who experience God's common grace. What is common grace? It's it's any gift that doesn't pertain to our salvation, right? That brings us into the church that God still distributes to all people. Okay, so we don't have time to kind of go into a deep doctrine of common grace, but common grace restrains us from being as bad as we could possibly be, and God's common grace gives any good gift that isn't associated with, with, with salvation. So when Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that God makes his sun shine on the wicked and the evil and sins rain on the just and unjust, you can insert common grace, all right? So, so by common grace and by those who are made in God's image, we are reflecting this to, to one degree or another, maybe not to God's glory, but still in the workplace. This is, this is kind of a picture of what the doctrine of vocation, how it should function, right? That, that God has given through common grace every person, he has wired every person, made every person in his image with different skills and capacities and abilities and gifts and desires and loves so that they might engage in good work. You with me? See that? So, V's definition, one more time. God has chosen to work through human beings who in their different capacities and according to their different talents, what? They serve. Serve each other. This is the doctrine of vocation. So as we said in the intro, work is a very tangible, concrete way for us to love and serve our neighbor. Now, the difficulty for us is most of the time when we engage in work, our temptation is not to come in thinking, man, how can I serve others today and love others today? But most of the time we're thinking, how can I kind of inflate everyone else's view of me to see how great I work and see how accomplished I am to see how much money I can make? And what we do is not work in humility and to serve others, but we work in pride to inflate ourselves. And I love what C.S. Lewis says in his classic mere Christianity about pride. Listen to this. Pride is essentially competitive. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something only out of having more of it than the next man. We say people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. So typically when we work, we are probably operating out of these different motivations, either one being pride to look better than the next person or out of humility to serve and to love them. And the Bible is teaching us that God gives us different assignments and callings not to look good, not to make much of ourselves, but to love and to serve others in and through our work. Work is always an opportunity to discover ways to serve and love others. And this means, I love this, that our vocations highlight the interconnectedness of all of us. All right? So just think about this for a minute, okay? If if, through our vocations we exist to serve and, and love one another, just think about that chair that you're sitting in right now. That nice chair, that spring step chair, design, metal, nice, you know, they stack really great. If you ever helped us put those up, I mean, they're just really well designed. You know, someone had to make that chair. 
So you are dependent on every person that was involved in the making of that chair. You are, you are dependent at this moment, and me on this stage, dependent in this moment on the manufacturers, on every person that is associated with that factory. But even beyond that, what about the, the engineers and the designers? What about beyond that, everyone who educated all of those people and all of I mean, are we up to like hundreds of thousands of people yet? We're talking about a chair. We're not talking about your morning coffee or your lunch or your commute to work. I mean, we are desperately dependent on one another. At all times, there's not a moment of our existence when we are not desperately dependent on one another. And this really pushes back against our kind of 21st century, you know, independent attitudes that we want to live, that we are not dependent on anyone, that we are independent. But self-sufficiency is really an illusion, right? And if we are that dependent on one another, can I just suggest to you that we should be all the more that much dependent on the God who made us? I can tell you that many people do not want to kind of step into the ring of Christianity and follow Christ. Why? Because they don't need God. They they don't have need of him. They can do it on their own. They can live life and have purpose and satisfaction and meaning on their own. They can please God if that's what it's about in the end game. They can please God on their own. And what the gospel is saying is that your need is greater than you know. And that Christ has met our deepest need to have this relationship with God and to be able to glorify him and love him with our lives if we would but receive this free gift that he offers. Listen, God went to great lengths, lengths further than we know, to to give us this gift of salvation in Christ. And so we are dependent on him for all things. We are dependent on one another for all things. And so as we think about work, work is not simply business. It's not, not simply meeting a bottom line. It's not simply earning a paycheck but work should be the ultimate expression of a life invested in good works for the sake of others. So maybe you're, you're here today and you're thinking, wow, you know, I kind of see that. It, it makes sense. It adds up in my experience. And, and, and even as I'm hearing this in the Bible, you know, that, that's great. But, but, but what does this mean for me now? Like, what if, what if I'm out of work and I'm looking for a vocation? Or what if I'm in a vocation that I'm not super thrilled about? How can I find greater fulfillment in my work? Well, to conclude, I want to answer that by giving you four suggestions for finding work and finding greater fulfillment in your work. Number one, find work and greater fulfillment in your work by operating in your God-given gifts and abilities. So you start asking questions like, how has God gifted me? What skills do I have or could I develop? What am I good at? Alex Chediak says this. He says, vocational calling is not as mysterious as some may think. Rather, it is directly related to the discovery of our God-given talents, which we then hone into skills and useful competencies. 
So God has, has gifted us, t- given us particular talents that we can, can tr- move into skills that, that then uh, turn into competencies by which we can offer ourselves to an employer for work. What skills has God given you? What talents has God given you? And, and listen, this is kind of really instructive here because you may, again, kind of go back to like the, 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 the chart with all the different occupations and the salaries. Like you maybe want to be a great banker. You may want to be a great athlete. You may want to be a great artist. But if God hasn't wired you, gifted you, given you talents for that work, then you probably need to find a different line of work. So just think about this. I mean, you may go to the museum. When I go to a museum, I don't go there often, but I've visited a museum a few times. I've enjoyed it. And, you know, when I go into a museum, you're just so inspired, right, by these amazing paintings. And, and you know what I begin to do? I begin to think, man, my art teacher was really, really, you know, poor in middle school, high school. And, you know, if only I would have been taught a little bit, then I could, you know, produce these Michael Angelic, you know, paintings, and I could have run with the great artist of the Renaissance. And, and, but then, you know, when I put my paintbrush or my pencil to a piece of paper, I'm producing stickmen. You know what I'm saying? And like, most of the time, they're crooked, and they don't even look that great. Why? Because God has not gifted me, wired me to be a great artist. Is anyone watching season 12 of American Idol? Anybody? Maybe you're over that. We still enjoy it. Um, you either have the gift or you don't, right? You either have the gift, you ever have the, the talent and the skill to be able to, to, to hone those competencies, or you don't. Anybody miss Simon Cowell? shouldn't admit that as a pastor, but I do. All right, uh, so, so pursue work where you can operate in your God-given gifts and talents. Number two, seek work that you love. What are you passionate about? Where are your greatest desires? What do you love to do? There may be a lot of things that I could do, but my heart doesn't necessarily beat for, and so I would rather someone else do that work, and and if I can, spend my greatest energies in what I really love. So Dorothy Sears, who was a 20th century writer in England, she says this, the Christian understanding of work is is that work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. It is or should be the full expression of the worker's abilities, the medium in which he offers himself to God. So if we pursue work that we enjoy, then we will find greater joy and satisfaction in that work. Number three, discern how God is at work in your life. Okay, so it's not just skills and talents and gifts and abilities and passions and desires and loves, although those are all important, but what about our experiences? God is at work in all of these, again, details of our lives. It may be that you had that class or you were given the opportunity to work on that particular project or you were mentored by a teacher that you really love that helped you see that you could pursue a particular field or vocation. We need, the, we need those experiences to shape us, and we need the wisdom of others. You know, when I was praying about being a church planter, I was, always had this call to be a pastor of a church, but church planting is a little different than just going into an existing work. And so what did I do? I went to my mentors and, and said, you know, Dr. Aiken, Pastor Dwayne, what do you think? Like, I'm praying about this, but, but do you see this in me? Do you see the, kind of, the gifts and the skills and the abilities and, and to, 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 to do this kind of work? 
And so God uses our experience. He uses those around us to confirm and affirm the direction that we should take in life. And, and even related to this, and even in a greater way, this is so good, go back and read the Old Testament book of Esther. And you will find that God is at work in our work, and he has a greater design for us than we even know. Now, he may not call you to be the king or queen of a given country and fulfill some major purposes to save his people, but what is it in your job that God wants to do that you can't see? Know that God is, is at work in our work and, 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 and seek to discern that, pray through that. And then finally, number four, pursue work where you can do the most good. Again, so, so it's, I have a friend who has Ivy League education and you know, she could easily be making like six-figure salaries and then some, but she works at a nonprofit and she's doing what she loves and she's making sacrifices, but she is doing a lot of good for a lot of people. So it's not about the, the salary, it's not about the status, but, but we start to ask different questions, Right? Not, not how can I make the most salary, you know, the most money and become the most comfortable in life, but, but how can I love and serve others? How can I give myself away for the sake of someone else that they might enjoy uh, the benefits of my work? This is what the doctrine of vocation is all about. It's about glorifying God in our work and serving others in the assignments that he gives us. So I want to lead us into a time of prayer. And I want to just invite you to go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. Mike is going to come up and begin to play and, and lead us into some singing in a moment. But, but what I want you to do is just, is just a few things, all right? You don't have to do all of these. Maybe you want to do one or two of these. But, but, but some of you may just need to thank God for the vocation that he has assigned you. And maybe you want to thank God for these multiple hats that you wear. It's not just your, your, your job vocation, but it's your other vocations too. Just thank God for what he has given you to do. But then others of you may want to say, you know what, God, I don't know what it is that you want me to do, and I need your direction. I need you to be my good shepherd and lead me into the job or vocation that you have for me where I could do the most good in my work. All of us can ask the question, God, show me ways that I can serve and love others in greater ways through my work. Now that I have this new understanding of what work is all about. So let's pray together. God, show us what it looks like to not just go to work, to fulfill a few responsibilities, but God, show us that there is a much greater purpose beyond us by which we can bring glory to you and, and worship you and also serve and love others. God, we, the, just the, even with less people here today than are typically here, just the, the people that are here today, we have so much capacity by your grace and the assignments that you've given us to, to bless so many people. So God, I pray that you would make us good workers those that carry this kind of servant-hearted, Jesus-resembling attitudes into our work every single day. God, forgive us when we work for, out of pride, out of selfish motives. God, I pray for those that, that are looking for work, that are praying for 
an opportunity to work and to serve, Lord, that you would meet their needs currently and, and the provision of a job in the near future, if it be your will. We've got to pray for us as church family, for those to really come alongside and help meet their needs in the meantime. And God, we pray through Christ, this one who has worked for us and brought us salvation. God, we pray that, that out of our knowledge of you, that we could offer ourselves to you every single day for your glory and for the sake of others. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.